Cocktail lovers, welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the capital and bring you other interesting food and drink news from France. And so, as you know, we've been doing a few specials here. We did two very long segments on COVID-19 and how it was affecting France's food and drinks industries. I interviewed a dozen professionals for for both of those segments. And that was very uh, interesting, sort of broad, uh, a broad paintbrush, I guess, of what's sort of happening all over France with both food and drink professionals. And that was really interesting. And now I'm taking kind of a, a, just a one person focus. And I'm having some time just to talk to my friend, Emily Dilling, who, you know, she was already on the COVID episode. She's helped me a lot with the podcast. I've talked to her about both on the blog. I've talked about her both on the blog and in the podcast because she has her own site. Perry Paysan. She's got her book, My Paris Market Cookbook. And she's awesome, good friend. And I want to talk to her today a little bit about how she has observed the effects of COVID-19 and the confinement on France's rural life and um, the farmers and the winemakers, because she lives in the Loire Valley. And so she's got kind of an interesting perspective. And I wanted to just take a little time to talk to her, see what she thinks about that. So um, I won't just keep telling you what I'm doing anymore. Let's dive right into it. So hi, Em. Thanks for coming to talk to me today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, just kind of just where you live? So situate yourself in France for them. Sure. Okay. So I'm in um, the Loire-Cher region. It's in this like in the centre of France. I guess it's the region that I'm in the Loire-Cher sort of department. Um, a little bit south of uh, a town called Amboise, if I could orient you. It's a it's a like a winemaking village. Um, very, very rural. Uh, and the, the main sort of economy here is, um, is agriculture, uh, rivaled by tourism, which is heavily linked to, um, a zoo. So I think if you have gone anywhere in France, you've probably seen these like posters for the Zoo de Beauval. It kind of feels like it's, it, I mean, it's like a huge attraction. And I actually lived here for a year or so without realizing it's like 15 minutes from where I live. And it is kind of a huge tourist draw, mostly for French tourists. But that's sort of, a, I mean, that's a big thing that makes um, the region live. So between either agriculture or tourism, because this is also the Loire Valley, there's Chateau, there's different tourist attractions and monuments, um, this huge zoo. Um, and then also just, you know, the, there's the wine, which also brings a lot of people. So we're here for the wine. My uh, partner, Ben, has worked in the in the vines for ever since we moved here in 2015. And I've kind of done a little bit of both, a little bit in the vines, a little bit in the tourism industry here. Okay. And I think this is going to be really interesting for me to talk to you because just to give the listeners a little bit more context behind the uh, our conversation, uh, as you know, we have a house in the country in Le Perche, which is a little bit closer to Paris, also um, an agricultural region. It's the largest wheat growing region in France, from what I understand. And, but it's going to be interesting for me to talk to you about this because you live full-time in the countryside. We just come on the weekends. I mean, we're stuck here for confinement. So I'm really looking forward to getting a better perspective on what it's like from somebody who lives here. So I'm going to dive right into this question we talked about a little bit before. And this was the last speech from the French president Macron when he came on the television and let us know that we were going to have about another month of lockdown and talked about, well, he just kind of, it was, a, you know, a state of what's happening address. And he was advising the public about what was going to be happening. So from my perspective, I heard a lot of people saying really positive things about this. They felt like 
like he seemed very presidential and very honest in the fact that he didn't have all the answers. But I feel like you've got a little bit of a different take on that. So do you mind sharing that with the listeners and with me? I do have a different take on that for us. <laughs> Obviously, from the countryside, I think, you know, relations have been tense with this president and people living in the countryside uh, for a long time. I think that was really evident in the Gilets Jaunes movement. So the yellow jacket movement, I guess we're calling it in English, which was um, an uprising of people um, that was very destructive in a lot of ways. But I think um, a lot of the like seeds for that movement were coming from the fact that the cost of living has been um, like has exorbitantly accre- increased and the cost of, and the pay hasn't. So we're looking at a place where people live, like if you do live here day to day, you're, and you work here day to day, cause there's a big difference. People who I know who, there's a lot of people I know who live here and they pay like country rent or country living on a Paris or a city salary. That's a big difference from a country salary, which is going to be minimum wage, whether that be in the vines or in a restaurant or like those different industries that I mentioned earlier and the cost of living. So, um, there's not a lot of like, local commerce or, you know, people are often going to the grocery store because those, those are like supermarkets, you know, kind of wiped that local commerce a long time ago. And so that's where you're going to shop those prices. And that's, it's expensive. Uh, gas, like I easily don't leave, you know, I say kind of like within a 20 kilometer sort of parameter of where I live. I hate cars and I hate driving, but I we're obligated to do that here. And I probably pay anywhere between 250 and 300 euro a month on gas. Wow. A lot consider a lot, right? I mean, gas is super expensive. And that was a big thing that like the Gilets Jaunes were fighting for, you know, wanted to like verbalize was just like, this is not, this is not an added element to our budget that we can assume because you're not getting paid more. And, and if you work, you have to go, you have to drive there. You just have to drive everywhere in these rural places in France. So um, even if I'm just dropping my kid off at the babysitter and then coming back and working from home, I'm still doing, you know, a bunch of alley retour and it's, and it just really adds up. Actually, one relief from this crisis has been not putting gas in my car because it's, I feel like I'm, I'm not making money right now, but I'm saving it. So, so that's a huge thing. And I really think people like need to understand or maybe try to understand, or maybe that can help understand that like, if you have a minimum wage salary, even if you're two people working full time, you're paying that. Uh, people live in houses here. They're often poorly isolated and electricity and water is incredibly expensive. We pay 90 euro a month for our electricity. And at the end of the year, we're always hit with like another almost thousand euro like addition to that because we rent a house that's poorly isolated or insulated and the heat, we're basically heating the street and it's incredibly expensive. So these are the kind of things like you don't have chauffage collective, you don't have a pass navigo, like those things that are really like, you don't have transport en commun, like there's no public transportation here. People try really hard to carpool or just, I mean, you really restrict yourself too. I feel like it's a place where you feel isolated. And sometimes I just say no to a coffee date in Amboise because I don't, because that's going to cost me 15 euro in gas, you know? Uh, so those are things that I think um, are elements that make it that it was already like a, a pretty tense situation here. Employment is tricky. Pay is low and the cost of living is high given all of the elements that go with driving to work every day or, and then not getting paid that much. So it's a, it's a tense situation. And so to get back to the Macron speech, uh, what I think he meant to sound reassuring to many, uh, did not sound reassuring to most people in the countryside. I would venture to say not to me in any case, 
when he said that he was going to be helping the les familles plus modestes, so the most like hurting families, that um, sounded like an empty promise to me. First of all, because it wasn't full of any detail. Second of all, because it hasn't been something that we've seen as we've been trying to piece together how to get by during this period where my partner is now is now unemployed and I was supposed to start a job in March and am not starting that job and things haven't really come through uh the French the French like social net that I think people really um with good reason for so many in so many regards the health system I think is is amazing uh the childcare system here is amazing and and again like it's definitely better than I think what we can see our our friends in, in the U.S. dealing with but like for getting like financial aid because you're in a, in a uncomfortable economic situation, like we all kind of find ourselves in right now, it's super labyrinthine. Like your the aids that you get are based on what you made two years ago. So if you made some money two years ago, then you're not going to get it when you need it. And if you didn't, you basically have to be like well under the poverty line to 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 be able to have access to any of those funds. So people who are already struggling to get a little bit of like relief with rent or things like that because for whatever reason they're not working um, are going to be struggling even more. And so instead of you know like what we see in the states with this stimulus package, which can be totally criticized, and I'm not saying it's the model, but that kind of reactivity that the U.S. had, given that it is a place that has no set social like net put in place, they had to kind of pull it together. That is kind of, I think what some people were maybe expecting Macron to say, like, this is what we're going to help if you can't, what we're going to do to help so you can't pay your rent this month, or this is how we're going to ease up on electricity bills or the gas prices are going down, but that wasn't his intention. That's like independent Mm -hmm. of this, but um, that wasn't said. And now some things that were like in effect, because we've seen there's certain things like RSA um, is a, is a kind of aid you can get if you can't get any other aids. And that's actually been from, from the contact that we've had with the Centre d'Allocation Familiale, which is kind of the place that helps you with financial aid for rent and family-oriented things, uh, that's kind of actually been um, put on hold right now as they in, as they put into place some other aid packages, but it's all very opaque. Like, it's not... And even when you talk to people at the Pôle emploi, like the employment office or this CAF, they don't really know what's coming next. So they're like, we can offer you this aid alimentaire this month, but they don't know what they can offer you next month. And they don't know what they can do. And these people are good people. Like the, the unemployment people, the CAF people, they're good people who I honestly believe are doing this job because they want to help people, but their hands are tied and they don't know. And that's why I think that that um, speech and those actions on the part of Macron could be more presidential. I don't know what the solution is in this case. So from my perspective, just hearing it, it sounds like, oh, you know, he was, he was saying, we're going to help people. So my thought was, this is great. I'm very worried about my friends who have, who are small business owners or who who are, you know, in in all kinds of different states um, of, of being like financial states. So to me, I thought, oh, this sounds good, but I'm also not living that situation where I'm trying to get this aid and, and have any idea of whether or not it really is good. Another thing that I thought about when you just were talking about some of this aid is dependent on what you were making two years ago. Many of the people I talked to in my interviews before, I found this interesting. They can't get aid because 
so much of it is dependent on what they were making last year or the year before. And because we've had the yellow vests and because we've had the strikes and because we've had the, you know, terrorist attacks, tourism has been down so much that even if people are getting on unemployment, if they're getting 80% of their prior salary, their salaries were already down or their income was already down a pretty significant chunk for these past few years. So, you know, they were already kind of hobbling by and now they're hobbling by on a smaller percentage of a smaller percentage. So I think that's kind of frightening for many people and, um, and a real eye opener, uh, for, for me to hear about. So, um, yeah, so I don't well, know. Maybe, maybe this would be, um, a good way to segue into like the winemakers. Cause I can talk to you a little bit about that. For yeah, example, that's... um, the, the winemakers are able to like the, that I've spoken to here, they're able to have access to that sort of relief package, which, and again, like, I don't know what the solution is. And I'm not saying that I would, I don't have an idea of how to do it better. And I do think there have been things that have been proposed. And again, it's France. So it's going to be complicated. There's going to involve sure, a lot of people yeah. work. I mean, it's just like that for everything. So I'm not saying like, I'm, you know, in, absolutely shocked. I'm not shocked, but I'm just, this is what I see going on here. Um, the winemakers have access to, I think a similar, if not the same, um, like sort of a package that, small businesses like restaurants and bars are um, eligible for, which is to say, I think it's like 1500 euro. Um, and you have to prove that you in this first trimester, or I guess maybe just since the beginning of the crisis, but I think it's the first trimester made 50% less than what you made last year. But again, first of all, New Year is the same as any other. I think you can talk to people in Paris who are like, well, last year was pretty not so because we had the yellow vest thing, you know, exactly. Exactly what I was just saying. Yeah. So, and so, and like, I have a friend who's just starting off, uh, as a winemaker, this is her going to be her like second, um, year making wine. And so, well, her first year was weird because it was her first year and her second year is like, well, she, you know, it's been slow because also she was kind of, she also makes wine in Australia. Everyone's case is different. She managed to, you know, qualify for it. She got that cool. I mean, there's success stories, but then the success is you have 1500 Euro, but then I think of my friends Paul and Anouk that I'm working for now. They're going to apply for that. I think they'll probably get it. Um, but then the thing is, like, there, it doesn't take into account, like, it's not, it doesn't take into account the global situation. So I'm working with Paul and Anouk right now because they have to hire people because they're two year old, can't go to daycare because the daycare is closed, you know, because no one's going to daycare. So they're actually like two people make one person during this time. So they're hiring people. And so they're spending more money than they thought they would. Yeah. It's all very interconnected, right? I mean, there's all these uh, uh, consequences and and things that happen as a result that, that you might not realize immediately that affect these kind of financial situations. Yeah. Complex. Yeah. And make solutions really, really hard. But I do think in some ways, maybe like giving some stimulus to people just saying, um, the like a flat amount like i think that could at least take a little bit of a weight off the shoulders people know concretely what they're dealing with because i think everyone can accept that this is an incredibly strange unique and unprecedented situation but i think if they're like maybe i can get this much but how much am i going to spend or or, you know i mean we can't have absolute certainty on to when things are getting back to normal because that concept doesn't even seem normal, you know, but like, but I think if there had been a, some sort of proposition or something that was sort of like a flat thing that people could have access to, um, maybe that would have been a little more reassuring again. Uh, I mean, it's a tricky situation. Yeah. Um, I can say though, the, the winemakers are, you know, I mean, life continues here. So I've been, I was, you know, while I'm kind of waiting to see what will happen with this job, I was supposed to start in March. I, um, 
I contacted some friends and, and they needed help. So, you know, I mean, that job is giving me life. I, I'm happy to be outside. I, you know, I'm doing half days so that we're sharing childcare, you know, responsibilities, but I'm out, I'm outside in the vines and I mean, I'm in nature listening to the birds sing and, you know, and life goes on and it's a nice reminder and, and the winemakers are going to keep making wine and they're going to, um, move forward. But, you know, the, you know, we're in kind of, uh, a specific little world of natural wine and the biggest customers outside of like France for, for the French winemakers that I know is, uh, Japan and the USA and, in the U.S., they're just immobilized now, and I think Japan is kind of picking up with orders and things. But I mean, the lifeblood of these of these small like family businesses are existing clients, like the network that they've built up. A lot of it, you know, foreign, but also like you know, wine tastings that they do. When we're heading into like you know, musicians are feeling this, like sound guys are feeling this. I mean, we're heading into that festival season of like for for food, for wine and for music and things and like heading into that without having, you know, that little amount of um, income that you would count on from these events is a little bit scary too for them. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Again, like these things that you kind of don't really think about the interconnectivity of all of all of these things, but it's interesting that you say, you know, for the winemakers life moves on because I also feel like, um, I guess it's maybe both a blessing and kind of a curse. It has to move on. So if you look at some of these places, like, mm-hmm. you know, you look at like shopkeepers, well, I guess they can close their doors, you know, or you look at people who run food tours or whatever they do, they can stop giving tours, but the farmers, you know, the things don't stop growing. They've got, they have to move forward. And we've seen a lot of that yeah, here. And, yeah. I was going to say, we've seen a lot of that here because we live right next door to a wheat farmer and, um, there's an egg farm around the, uh, around the corner. So I feel like here from what I see, people are finding a way to kind of get their things to market. And I, I'm not saying it's ideal at all, but they are carrying on, which you have to, um, and it's something very yeah, similar to a sentiment that Lucy, who I interviewed for the episode that you're on with the COVID, said exactly the same thing. The seasons are moving on. The you know the uh, the the farms things are growing. There's just there's no stopping. There's no stopping nature really. Like when you when I think about it no, now, as I'm saying no. it, like you know we might try, but look, we've been sla- slapped down a little bit. So, but nature carries on, and that doesn't necessarily solve our problems. But I do find something a little comforting in no, that but anyway reminder about you know it's a good reminder about resiliency and also like projecting i think all, another thing that you know and again like i don't want to feel at all pes- or sound pessimistic like i'm i'm loving being in the countryside and now and something that i'm doing is like planting in my garden you know and i think there's something about that like right now what i'm doing in the vines is kind of like a second pruning and you're really pruning thinking about this year's harvest but you're thinking about like the life of the plant and the structure it's like you know, you're, you're, you're projecting into the future a lot, the same way you do when you plant a seed. And I think if you can have some sort of like communion with nature during this, it's really, um, it's really powerful because it does kind of take you beyond. Whereas like, I think a source of stress in a lot of our our lives right now is like, what, where, where is this going? Where am I going to be? What's happening with my life right now? And we just don't know. But I mean, we know that if we plant a seed and water it, it will grow. We know that the sun will set and rise. Like if we can have a little bit, I know, you know, people in Paris, but so if you can look at your window and see a sunrise or a sunset, like have some sort of way like connect with it. And I, and I'm really like, I've had a pretty like love hate relationship with, with uh, the countryside. I 
I'm a city person and I miss a lot of people and things about Paris, but, uh, being here now has been like a huge source of comfort for me. And it's really, really changed my perspective on, um, on what I want to surround myself with in a lot of ways. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so for the winemakers, have, is there anything else kind of that you've talked to anything else that struck you about things they've been saying or doing or feeling or anything? Well, it's just, I mean, scary. I mean, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of stuff is like kind of rolling the dice, like you're rolling the dice on, on making a wine that people will, will love and want to order, or you're rolling the dice on building, um, you know, you like where Ben was working for a young winemaker, it's his like third or fourth year. And he was kind of like, this is the year I'm going to build my wine cellar. Cause he was kind of using an old one. And and so he took out a bunch, you know, big loans and started the work and was ready to do his first harvest and, you know, Chez Louis. And, and then this happened and, you know, construction has stopped and orders are being dropped off. The one of Ben's last day working for him was, um, he, they, they bottled like 1200 bottles of wine that were all supposed to ship out like in the next, in the coming days. And, and, and then the ball started rolling and they, they, he got all these cancellations. And at the end, they only shipped off 400 of those 1200 bottles. Wow. And so it's, it's, it's staggering. So, you know, this is a young guy with two kids who, you know, maybe he, he, maybe he should have been a little bit more modest in his plans, but it's one of those things where it's like, it'll work out. And then this happens, you know, like it's, it's totally unexpected and unprecedented. So I think, you know, there's lots of different cases of, uh, you know, every, every winemaker has, is kind of in a different pickle, but I do really think that it's, you know, even, even if, uh, a lot of, you know, some winemakers make the political choice of being like, I'm going to sell, you know, ma the majority of my bottles in, in France. I mean, there's still a huge aspect of like the U S and Japan being like enormous markets for French natural wine. So that's, you know, a lot of them are also dependent. So that's that like connectivity. It's like the vines are here and the winemakers are all about the terroir and the, and, cultivating the grapes, making the wine and everything from A to Z. But then the like, you know, the second part of that is that they go off into the world. And if the world is kind of, you know, having these waves of shutdowns and economic uncertainty, it has, it has that like global effect. Um, but again, you know, the winemakers are out there. It's this, it's second pruning now. They're thinking about next year. They're thinking about the years after that. And, you know, no one's giving up, no one's giving up, but you know, I do, I have heard some winemakers, I have, um, a friend who saw up so many cancellations of orders that they just have this all pretty much all of their stock. And so next year they're not going to harvest and they, you know, the harvest, they have a few of their own parcels of grapes, but they also buy grapes. So farmers who grow grapes to sell to winemakers are going to be feeling this too, because some people are be like, I'm not buying grapes this year, or they're going to take less because they still have this stock they need to sell. And, um, you know, so it's definitely like a domino effect, uh, all down the line. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, a domino effect, a ripple effect. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, and it's already, I mean, I would, I would guess like it's already tough enough if you're a natural winemaker in the Loire, because there are so many, um, random factors that you have to deal with from, you know, climate factors and what's the weather like, and is there frost and things that you can and can't do It's So many variables that you yeah, can't control. 100%. Yeah. So then you've I'm got really like this thing. Cause it's just, it's a, yeah. Yeah. No, because it's like the thing is, you're kind of always wheeling and dealing. Like, there's so many risks. Is there going to be frost this year? Are we going to have mildew? Are we going to, you know, is there going to be like a like sun? Is there going to be a heat wave? Uh, or is there going to be a drought? Like, you're always. So I think you're kind of used to like living on the edge, and then something like this happens. And again, restaurateurs, like any profession where you're kind of in a 
passion, uh, like a job of that's passion. You have to be a little bit crazy to do this stuff, you know, cause it's you yeah. have to be okay with things being out of your hands, but this is, you know, but this is really, this is beyond the norm of everything. Yeah. It's beyond. The, yeah. It's, they're always a little bit beyond the norm, but this is beyond there, beyond the norm. So <laughs> yeah. this is like yeah. outside of the, their realm of <laughs> yeah. insanity. Like, uh, crazy. So yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, you know, and again, like everyone's kind of getting used to it day by day to see, not getting used to it, but kind of like taking it day by day, I think. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, but there's still, there's work here. So, and then I, you know, I was happy to find, um, our, our farmers that we would visit at the market and, and they managed to kind of do this like sort of off market where, you know, it, I mean, find the cell phone number of a rural farmer, like impossible. Mm-hmm. Somehow Ben did it and called him and, and we had this little speakeasy situation where a few people had ordered and we could go pick up, but I, you know, I don't understand that as well. I think it could maybe be a little bit more universal. Cause then, you know, there's a market in Nantes and we were talking to friends who live there and they've set up a, a like a drive, what we say in French, but like a, you know, like a, like, like a, a pickup. pickup. Yeah. Counter. Yeah. And you can order from the, all the different commerçants and they, put your stuff together and you can pick it up. And that's really supporting this covered market. That's like a the historical site in Nantes and full of amazing vendors and local artisans. And, and that city has really organized around and those commerçants who are just like brothers and sisters, like made that happen in Paris. I know I've talked to a friend in Vincennes who says that their market is open, but it's super like, she said, it's like a corn maze to get in there and you're not sure. And then everyone has oh. to wait and then, and then, but it works. And, you know, a lot of people have a little bit more time on their hands now. So that works. So that it seems like markets, some markets are finding their way. And I don't know if that's because of the markets are organizing internally to make it happen. But our farmers were really upset because when I saw them, it had been like three weeks. And I just said, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. And they were like, we can't wait to be back. And they were like, look at us. Like we, no one's touching the food. Like people can stay far away. We can like we can do this. Like, why aren't we allowed to? And, and I think they're really pushing to like, just get the the market back because, um, because we need to support what's local and because they're, and because I think it is a lot more sanitary than going to a grocery store. And, and, and I, and I'm so glad that grocery store workers have their jobs and that, and are out there doing them. It's not, but I think, you know, it's, um, certain things maybe could start to, to, we could, you know, could become accessible to us, especially when we see other models in other places, um, in France where, you know, where we can have access to, to local produce. I think that's really important. I mean, I really feel pretty strongly about supporting the farmers around us. Um, I might've mentioned this earlier on the show, but you know, we have an egg farmer who's just a few minutes walk from us. Fortunately, we can just pick up eggs and leave. They have a little honesty box. Um, we shop at the, our, our market here isn't open, uh, but we do shop at the Antomarche and they work with a lot of local producers. So, I mean, it's better than nothing. But what I do find odd is also in, in our little community here, now there's deliveries that are happening, um, deliveries that are coming from kind of the little, just the little like convenient shops, right? And I don't think that they're buying their produce from the local mar- farmers because, you know, we asked for a couple of things and they said, oh yeah, yeah, we've got these such and such from Spain and this such and such, you know, not coming from France. Okay. So obviously they're not, you know, we had to get a delivery because we needed some vegetables and that was the only place we could get it from, but they were obviously weren't local. So, um, I mean, that's the thing is I think it's hard to find local. I mean, I've, it's hard to find local produce if you're not going to the market, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. even more, you know, more reason to let the farmers. Yeah. Which is why I'm saying it's, con- it's confusing you know, to me. Sale. 
that, yeah, that the convenience store is open, but not the market when I'd rather buy from the market. Yeah. And there's already, you know, the, the kind of the, the large supermarket that's open if I need things that are not from the, from the farmers. So I don't really need a small convenience store uh, yet. That's allowed to be open, but the market's not. So that's, you know, kind of yeah. a little bit frustrating and seems illogical to me. I mean, I'm not the one and they're making the rules. So I don't know all of the things they're considering, but it's frustrating because I really do want to support the the local farming community here. And it's not so easy when you're having to buy some stuff at the tiny, super tiny convenience store sure. that's not from here. Yeah. So, but I do think it's a lesson in, um, you know, cutting down a consumer is, you know, like we buy the minimum of what we need and we've been able to find a lot of good stuff too. And we have a little organic shop that's, that stayed open. And, and then now we found our farmers, but I mean, it's made me really think about, um, uh, making the most out of little. And actually we kind of, we just went vegetarian on this thing, like without even talking about it, we just have been eating vegetarian for the entire confinement because, uh, I, I wasn't feeling super confident about sources about, of like meat and fish and it just it just didn't feel the same as a, to us as like going to our butcher and our fishmonger and we didn't even talk about it. it just kind of became the thing that we we do and and so that's been fun too because we've been having a lot of different like trying different recipes and stuff like that and i think maybe it'll maybe make people think about living with less and making the most out of little and and also rethinking their maybe their buying habits a, a little bit it's an unfortunate way to learn that but if it, that's a lesson that we can all internalize a little bit i think that's positive oh yeah i think that we're going to have some positive behavioral changes as a result I mean, I think even us, like I'm pretty anti-waste. I, I don't like to waste food. I live with somebody who won't, you know, like who, he, you know, he's French. So basically sauces every plate with his, with his, uh, bread. Like there's never a drop yes. left and, and that's good. <laughs> you know, no it's great. Behind. Yeah, exactly. Not one drop. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I think I've always been that way, but I think even now more so, I mean, it just, it just like makes me so upset to see food going to waste or going into the garbage. Yeah. But even, even now, now I'm even more like, okay, I'm going to use every single thing. Nothing's going bad in the fridge. And so it's kind of pushed me even further to the edge in terms of that. And, um, yeah. And I wonder how, how many your, other um, shopping lists. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, uh, I was just saying, I wonder how many other like changes are going to be happening in terms of like, so you guys are veggie now. Does that mean that you'll stay veggie? Like, will there be, I wonder if there'll be these kind of like patterns of eating habits that change as a result, right? Like, like we've been eating healthier here yeah. because we can't just go get something, you know, there's not really like when I make the order, I make conscious decisions. It's like, it's fresh fruit and meat and whatever. So, um, so, you know, hopefully well, that's also, it. I was, I that's what I was going to turn the table on you because I was I was going to ask you how how strong is your like shopping list game now? Oh yeah, pretty good at doing once a week, but we just like we get it done, you know. Like really, I just feel like you know people are just being like you know, and again, it speaks to like the gas thing too. I'm like, I'm not going to do any midweek trips to the grocery store anymore. Like yeah. this day and that's, you know, for, for the next seven days or, you know, like get what you need and get out and, and then, <laughs> get in, and get, get out, done, you know, stay away for yeah. a week. Yeah. So I, like, I think if people can think about meal planning, about pantry stocking, about things like that, when I say people, I, th I say like me, I mean, that's something that I've been really like geeking out on is like, okay, how do we stock our pantry? How do we stock our fridge? What do we need for, the week and that's like home economics 101 but those are things that we don't for sure learn um 
Yeah, yeah we should put it. Oh, I should put a link yeah. in these show notes to Stacy's Stacy's um, blog on yeah. home economics because it is. But I feel like like I've always been kind of like I love organizing stuff like that, so I kind of think about like shopping plans. But you're right. Like now I'm like even more so, and like now I have like sort of like kind of pantry meals It you know, I made a really good doll the other day with some yeah. lentils and there's lentils that you can get, you know, they're grown around here. And you know, there's, um, things I'm yeah. like, okay, those are always going to be in my pantry now because that was kind of like a good thing to have on hand. Okay. And, um, but so this thing about shopping for a week, so I'm kind of loving it. I go, we get our stuff. It's like, we've gone even 10 days once and, but we live in the country and we've got a freezer and we have, you know, like a relatively large fridge. So when I talked to, to people who are staying in Paris, like we, I don't think we'd be able to do the once a week shop if we were in Paris, maybe cause we're just two people, but, mm. um, but you know, like my friends who have families, yeah, you don't have the storage for it. You just don't have the storage. I mean, so many Paris apartments, they're just like, you know, and I, and you know, we have friends who have apartments who have, you know, those little mini fridges, like without even a freezer. Right. So, yeah. So that's got to be tough, but I do think that there's probably some ways to like stretch your pantry goods, like we were just talking about. And you're right, it's all home economics. But I think that I have learned some home economics out of this, and hopefully some other people have learned some some positive lessons. I don't know. I've like, yeah, got to yeah, return to domesticity. Do yeah, you, that's I, exactly I what I was thinking. Here? I sent my girlfriend a text. I <laughs> said. <laughs> how did our moms do this in the seventies? I mean, I'm just yeah, cooking for two God. people and like, I feel like I'm constantly planning, cooking, cleaning, planning, cooking, cleaning. And yeah. it's not like that I'm well, the woman yeah. and I need to do this, but I don't really want to eat Tebow's food and he's doing the yard work. So, I mean, I'd rather cook than do the yard work at the moment, but like, no, and we like are... lean into what you want to, but yeah. yeah, it's full time. Yeah, no. And I think people are really, I think this is also like a way of people to like really understand the value of like domestic tasks, whether that be like child rearing or garden work or home organization food wise and otherwise like it's it's yeah it's hefty like it's a lot um do, can i can i do a little plug here because it's a brand absolutely go go yeah okay cool so it's just i don't even know if this is like the, the actual title but i'm kind of excited because I had a fun conversation like this one with um, with our friend Anna Brones, and she, and we started kind of geeking out on pantry stuff. And it's actually the lentils that made me think of this sort of nascent project, which I hope will be out soon. Because um, we were talking about how to like extend shelf life of things and do like lacto fermentation, like easy things like simple brines, oh, vinegar, yeah. pickling, and doing some like sprouted lentils, for example. Which actually Stacy gave me her recipe, and I put it up on the blog quite a while back, but I, it's up there. Oh, I'll um, put a link to that. I love like a sprouted lentil. Sprouted they're nice and spicy so good yeah and just like to have like a little yeah like nutty touch to a salad so we're putting together little like kind of thematic guides and i think they're going to be called the quarantini guide to da 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 so we're going to do some things on greens on like home fermentation sort of shelf life extension projects and things like that and so if, if people want to kind of follow on like me or Anna's Instagram, we'll probably post them there and then on the site and just like simple kind of printable guides to like super like two or three recipes and not something like we're not going to like even get into like sourdough starter stuff, but just, you know, you know what you can do with like all with flour, what you can do with like uh, dried, you know, like beans and things like that, or lacto fermentation kind of stuff, things like that. So we're going to, we're working on that because I think it's like, I don't know, it's just like a cool way to like, so people can like max out their pantry as much as possible and maybe Absolutely. even 
kind of like give freshness to vegetables or like make greens, you know, like sprouts out of, you know, dried goods, uh, I think is a nice way to kind of feel like you're getting a little bit of like photosynthesis realness into your diet if you're not going to be able to go grocery shopping or go out to eat easily. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of like buying the veggies that kind of have a long shelf life anyway. Like I'm a really big fan of red cabbage. So I like to make like a red cabbage Mm -hmm. slaw at the beginning of the, of the week and kind of last for a while or cauliflower or, you know, like kind of heavy, more sturdier greens and stuff. But, um, and I'm also, I don't know if I was telling this, I'm also reading, uh, the art of fermentation at the moment. So I am super excited to see what you ladies put together and I'll put links to that in the show notes too. So other people can see what kind of ways you're extending the, shelf life of things. Uh, and I especially like the idea of sprouting to get a little green in because that's our biggest problem is that we can last, I could last out here for another month, but I wouldn't really have any fresh veggies. I mean, I might have some frozen spinach in the, in the freezer, but that's, you know, like after a couple of weeks, that's probably yeah. all I'd have. So, uh, um, yeah. well, yeah. yeah. And the fermentation and the, and like pickling is a really great way to keep things, you know, fresh and in your fridge for a while. And you can do like that slaw could be fermented and it could last, you know, you know, and yeah. then you make some rice and that, and you know, you've got something nice and it's good for you. And so I think there's, yeah, there, just like workarounds that I think could actually, if people like integrate them, like I had stopped cooking a lot and now I'm back into it. I'm having so much fun and integrating those little habits and like getting rid of any sort of intimidation or, you know, or even. Yeah. I think like getting rid of the intimidation is it. important with fermentation, which is a lot of what I'm reading in the art of fermentation. You know, people are like, I'm worried I'm going to kill someone or I'm going to get botulism. And people have these weird, like unfounded fears about fermenting things, but they're just little microorganisms that are like making the food better and last longer and like transforming yeah. it into like better flavors in my opinion. But, um, that's awesome. Weird, but you can come back from that. And we're, I'm talking, I'm talking Mel through some home fermentation projects and she's like, Oh, what's going on? It's like, it's okay. It's gonna oh yeah. Be she's got a problem with her sauerkraut. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll yeah. come over and taste your sauerkraut. I make kimchi all the time. It's it's awesome. So yeah, um exactly. No fear. Yeah. Don't get botulism yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the, that was somebody who was infusing garlic and oil. They weren't they weren't it was like a kind of this misleading story that I think gave everybody this like weird fear about fermenting. So okay. um I think it's a pretty safe practice and and I I'm totally into it actually. I really love fermenting things and although I think I killed my little grains that you brought me. Um Oh god, well I'm having a hard time right now too. We're going through a thing, I'm not sure. It's always, it's a, it's an adventure. <laughs> well, sometimes like having little cultures around the house or like having little kids around the house too. Like you can't just like ignore them all the time. Yeah. So I mean, well, kids, you, yeah. you can't ignore them at all, but, but, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can try. Anyway. <laughs> you can yeah, try they, so hard. <laughs> they just keep they just keep asking for your attention. Uh, all right. Coming back, yeah. Well, anything else that you want to add about how you think the um, the farmers and the winemakers around you have been affected or how you've been affected or what are, anything else you want to share with the listeners well, before I, think, I wrap I it up? Uh, yeah, I guess reach out. Like I've also, we didn't talk about beer, but I, I haven't talked to any beer makers or like brewers around here, but I, I've been listening to some podcasts about like the French scene and, you know, it's a scary time for them too. And I think what a lot of them, like you took, you spoke with Katie from Artisan. I like, did. Yeah. Uh, at the, um, and, yeah. And there's in the, for, in your first like roundup of, of interviews and the Le Petit Mez in Tour, like those are the kind of more local to me, you know, they're, they're delivering in the proximity around them. I mean, again, like this is a total change of a business model. Like I don't think any of those breweries are planning on being like door to door service any, you know, after this, but it's a way to get by. And I, 
I don't think we should expect them to do this whenever they don't have to anymore, but I think maybe reaching out, you know, we've been doing that with local winemakers. We're lucky because we've got a bunch around us, but so we have a lot of wine. That's, that's cool. You know, we just <laughs> go and get dropped off and we don't get, you know, we can, so I think reach out the market thing, like is something I'd be really interested to hear other people's experiences with. And maybe, you know, it took us a little while to track down our farmer's phone number, but once we got it, he, a few days later, we were picking up vegetables from him. So maybe it's more like, an underground thing but i think the essential thing is like as much as you can especially in like rural areas uh where there's maybe not like a network or a lot of visibility set up like try to reach out and and i think it we're all dependent on each other like we're all so interdependent there's absolutely no way that anyone could deny that after seeing what's happened over the last few months so so yeah so now more than ever like support your local artisan yeah, I second that. And I will be going to buy more eggs from our egg farmer soon. Although, like I said, our other neighbor farmer is a wheat farmer and, you know, that's not like out yet. So there's not much I can do there other than watch him, watch him do his fields. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, yeah, eggs are I, good. that's a good start. Yeah. I think I'm going to wrap this up. It's been fabulous talking to you as always. And, um, you too. Oh my God. Yeah. It's lovely to talk to people. Especially we'll talk you. Again. <laughs> yeah. We'll Great. talk soon. We'll talk more <laughs> offline about our fermentation projects. And, um, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a wrap for this month. Uh, if you're looking for more cocktail and drinks talk between shows, you can head over to our site at 52 martinis. If you want to carry them around in your me around in your pocket. You can download the iOS app, Paris Cocktails. It's a guide to the bars in Paris. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in and downloading. Thank you to Sun Little for the music. Again, I'll put up links to things Emily and I talked about in the show notes so you can go back and refer to them. Please do drink responsibly. And uh, please, if you think about it, leave me a review over in iTunes because it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy to know that people care and that they're listening. And um, until next time, Cheers. Way at night, in your moon coming, shine a light, taking her clothes off it.